Hello, and welcome to the Television Spotlight on the Comic Book Page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, we'll be having a spoiler-filled discussion about a television show that we think you'll enjoy. In this episode, I'm joined by my sister, and we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion on the third season of The Orville, also known as The Orville New Horizons. It had been on Fox prior to the pandemic, but they had announced back then it was moving to Hulu, and it took until late 2022 for it to air on Hulu versus the second season ended, what, April 2019? Yeah. So, bit of a gap between seasons, and... Given where they had left off with a kind of a, a time travel-y sort of a thing at the end of second season, where they pick up with kind of a nightmare sequence at the beginning of the third, I was having a hard time placing where that was. But once mm-hmm. I got that, it's like, okay. The other big change in terms of just moving to Hulu, it had been primetime TV, 42, 43 minute episodes. Streaming service, these things were anywhere from like an hour five to an hour 20 something. I think one was even an hour and a half. Thereabouts, yeah. So these were longer episodes to the point of almost being twice the length of a previous episode. They they really took advantage in every way of being a streaming service. It still felt like there was some fade to blacks for commercial breaks sort of things. Definitely, but you tend to have that between acts. Most writers are in that mental mindset. Well, and it allows it to be repurposed to network TV if, if ever needed. And in addition to the expanded length, the visual effects, which I thought were good before, were amazing, outstanding, and prolific here. Yeah, and that was one of the reasons why they went to Hulu, was when they kind of sat down to talk with Fox about what they wanted to do for season three and deadlines and everything. Seth MacFarlane said in an interview, he was looking at the timetables and saying, basically, I don't think we can do this yearly. It just, he wanted more effects. He wanted more time to do the writing. Yeah. And he wanted something bigger than he felt he could produce and put out annually. Well, and there were numerous scenes, either in the simulator or when they go to alien planet or something where they really got kind of i think their money's worth on the effects but that does take time to put it together to get it rendered and and all of that sort of stuff so i don't like the gap between seasons that we had but i certainly felt like we got something worth waiting for definitely and i keep wondering if instead of giving us a season four and this season had Essentially an arc. I mean, this really was the season we dealt with the Kalon threat. It had an arc with the Kalon stuff. It felt like every character had arcs. Definitely. But I think if they, moving forward, if they approached it as less of a, we need to put out a season, we need to give a batch of episodes that come together like a novel, and if they were putting out... I don't want to say a movie of the week, because really that well, does what this was in Injustice. If they almost go for like the Hallmark mystery movie format, if we're going to drop one quarterly or maybe yes. three in a row and take a break for a while or, or something of that sort. And that's actually a brilliant comparison. Because, again, a lot of these episodes were 
virtually or exactly the length of some of these hour and a half uh, movies and such. And if they can do that on a regular cadence of release, mm-hmm. even if they do production for, you know, we're going to do a block and again, they put together 10 of these, release those every other month or something of that sort, they could batch up the production for the year, have the time for the effects, all that sort of a thing. Yeah. And I certainly hope this is not the last we see of the Orville. Mm-mm. Because the amount of, of story ground they covered in this season with what was going on with Isaac, what was going on with Bordas's family, just every character I felt got their chance to really shine in this season. Gordon got a really good episode kind of focused on his stuff. Yeah. We got a new ensign this season, and she had a definite beginning, middle, and end of an arc. Mm-hmm. And there were a few places where, okay, what's going on with a few of these things, with, with that Ensign Charlie, with, with Gordon and stuff? It's like, ah. You could tell Seth MacFarlane was writing some stuff. Brandon Braga was writing some stuff. There were a few places where it felt like characters backslid a little bit. So it's not like it was perfect. Mm-hmm. But it was satisfying. Yes. And I think the other change with this show between seasons, and certainly from compared to the first season. The first season, I... I was confused, was this a parody of Star Trek, or was it trying to be Star Trek? I felt they toned down and retooled the humor level in such second season. Yeah. And there were times here where it certainly had comedic moments, but it was very much almost straight Trek at this point. But it was less of the, I don't want to say slapstick necessarily, well, It was less sitcom-ish. Less Gordon's leg. Yes. Well, there was some stuff that was farcical in the first season that I don't think they would do now, even though they have referred back to it. Whereas, like Bordas's speech in the final episode, they were doing it for the humor value, but it wasn't the wacky, crazy, you know, sitcom-y kind of humor that was a little over the top like they'd done first season. So tonally, it's changed quite a bit. And I think the other thing that made this season a little different was before it was doing better Trek than Trek. Yes. But now that we've got Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which is very classic Trek in many regards, Mm -hmm. it does have something to to kind of compete against. Well, I mean, part of me, first of all, wants to know what happened behind the scenes, what influenced the makers of the show, that we had a very, very strong messaging on both PTSD and suicide. The suicide storyline in that first episode, and again, the show started as as much a comedy as anything else, to do a very serious take on on suicide, the ramifications, all of that was unexpected. It was well done, but it was also a little confusing. And I'm curious again, like you said, what prompted that story? I mean, it was an incredible episode. Mm Mm-hmm. They covered so much ground in that episode, but it was also one, as I recall, where they got to the final scene and they kind of fumbled. There were a few episodes where I felt they could have tied it together better at the end and landed the ending better. I think the one that focused on Gordon and stuff dropped the ball on two or three things at the end. Not in a, it ruins the episode. No. But, like, there was an entire season of Stargate SG-1 where it was really good episodes that just kind of stop at the end without resolving, without finishing, without 
concluding. Mm-hmm. And there was an aspect this season that felt that way here. And it's funny because I think story-wise, they dropped the ball a little on some of those things. But then I look at like some of the episodes they did with uh, Topa. Beautiful. And it was very clear some of the stuff across the season, they would do something in one episode and it kicks back later mm-hmm. with a maybe not an oh my God payoff, but a payoff. Well, and the stuff with Topa, it really feels like they decided when they introduced the character of Topa. Oh yeah, this was playing off stuff from from past seasons. You know, that this this course was I don't want to say predestined, but this course was charted. They had an idea where they wanted to go and it would mm-hmm. play out over time. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the second episode this season of Topa had they known they were getting a fourth season if they would have saved it for that because it seemed to be pretty close on the heels of the other one. I felt that the episode where they went to the colony they undermined one of the characters we'd seen before, mm-hmm. which I didn't care for. But I also felt that they were really trying to give Topa kind of this, is Topa bonding with the Mocklins, her people? Mm-hmm. Or is Topa really wanting to become a union officer? And for lack of a better term, bonding with the union. Yeah. You which, know, which direction is, is Topa going? Which, as given the character of Topa, has already been torn between. That and- character's. It's funny because that character has had more of an arc than I would say the equivalent Star Trek character, which would be Worf's child, Alexander. Mm, yes. If you use that as a comparison, you look at that character, uh, Alexander's arc across Next Gen and Deep Space Nine, and there's a progression of story there. But then you look what they've done with Topa over the, the couple of seasons and such, and even leading into it with Bordas and, and Clyden having the, the, I guess it was the egg or whatever mm-hmm. early on and all of that stuff. And the early stuff was definitely played for last, but you look at the serious social commentary material they've gotten out of it since, it's, it, you know, it's very impressive and it's done in an entertaining manner and well told. Well, I mean... By the time they're done, Boris, Clyden, and Toba are people without a country. They definitely changed up the whole Mocklin situation over the course of this season. And I loved where another race of aliens was introduced with the it's the Mocklin situation all over again, but in a different way. Yeah. And Boris is how can we deal with such a closed minded society? And just kind of we're supposed to laugh at that because he doesn't realize how close-minded his society is, but the reason I didn't laugh is I felt he did recognize how close-minded the Mocklins were. Yeah. And again, the progression of that character from first season, and again, just over the course of this third season, he went from, oh, it's their equivalent of a Klingon, let's get some some jokes out of it, to he's a realized character and there, there are nuances and character development going on. Well, I wish I could remember the exact line because I loved it at the time. But back when uh, they had the the trial about Topa, and I forget if it, who it was, Ed Gordon. But anyway, someone had uh, told Boris the story of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Mm. And he'd come out of it realizing that Topa could grow up to lead Santa's sleigh. Yeah, there are a couple of, of it, story, li- story points like that that are surprisingly rooted in the 21st century. Right, but it was just that great revelation to him of 
could be unique, could be different, but it wasn't bad. Yes. And he played it so well. Yes. I think certain characters, Bordas and Clyden among them, in the hands of lesser actors. Yes. Would have been very one-dimensional and grating versus uh, somewhat endearing. Yeah. Because even Clyden undergoes some changes here. And I say even Clyden in so much as he was only in three episodes of the 10, maybe? Not that many. That sounds right, yeah. Maybe four. I mean, most of them he wasn't in, but when he was there, he undergoes changes that were earned yet feel surprising given his history. Well, and yet I felt they kind of stopped short on his dialogue in terms of there were points when he he's, you know, apologizing and expressing regrets, but he stops short of saying, you know, I I was probably really mad about this. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's I think more to be had with that character. Clyden and the relationship with Topa, with Bordas, with Kelly, mm-hmm. there's a lot more they can explore and, and go with there. And again, I hope they get the chance to do that. So not knowing if they get a fourth season and having expectations where it was they were going to Hulu for a season, mm-hmm. they've really developed this this universe and they ended on a note where if they don't get more, it doesn't feel unresolved, but it does feel like there's definite particular stories to be told. Well, I know they've got some comic books. Yes, I've been reading those, and those have been good. They've definitely got characters that I think would be great in novels. Yeah, if they haven't done novels, and I don't know of any, I'd I'd like to find out what they do, because I think there's a lot to be done in that format. The comics, James and I have read quite a few of them and talked about them on the show, and they're written by one or two of the people behind the scenes of the show, and they've got artists that are able to capture the likenesses really well. Nice. Yet not really well, but stiff, but mm-hmm. still comic booky looking art, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Because I've, I've seen a few where, yes, it looks like it's a comic book art, but it also looks as much like it's traced over a photo and it feels stiff, lifeless, and not moving. Mm-hmm. Now, you don't have movement in comic art, it's static art, but they do such a good job of it being like you're reading an episode. Nice. Over a you know two part comic story or whatever, and given the length of these, it'd be more like a four issue arc for an episode of this. But there's so much to explore in this world that again, if they don't either do it in the comics, more shows or TV movies or something, or streaming movies or in novels or something, I think they're missing out because given again that tonal shift between seasons being a I don't say an awkward point, but a, a definite sign of, of the show evolving over time. Yeah, definitely. The universe they've built, the stories they've explored, again, they've done more social commentary in the span of, I forget how many episodes the first two seasons were, I want to say 13 each. I was going to say, I think right now they total out at like 36 episodes. Even that seems high. I'm not sure, because it was only 10 episodes for this, granted, longer episodes. But they've done more social commentary here than I feel... Star Trek has done with its modern shows of Discovery, Picard. Really, I think they only do social commentary for the most part over in Strange New Worlds and not always there. Yeah. So I I think Seth MacFarlane has hit the, the right point of having built up enough backstory in a universe that he can be telling very Star Trek stories and 
now be working to kind of, I don't say move that universe further away from Trek, because I think spiritually that's its its backstory mm-hmm. and, and background and, and philosophy. I mean, one of the bits in this final episode was very much on their equivalent of the Prime Directive, how it came to be, why it came to be, and why it's so important. And there was another episode featuring Gordon that was very much on a, a similar, if not exactly the same theme, spelled out differently in the ramifications. Mm-hmm. And the fact they were actually exploring how this impacted a few of the characters. Yeah. Which is something they really don't tend to do in, in Trek. It's just, well, this is the way it is. It must be right. Unless it's a story about, you know, the ramifications of the Prime Directive or whatever. This universe has found itself in a, an interesting way and gotten to an interesting point. Where I think if you had gone from the pilot episode to this finale and skipped everything in between. You'd be so baffled. Well, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, because there are certain parts, like with where the Kalon are and stuff, it's like, well, okay, a little unexpected, but if we take this other plot point as a given, sure, why not? You'd have missed mm-hmm. everything they did in between. It was funny, because this finale was sort of a sequel to an episode, I forget if it was first or second season, but it was one that it took me at least a third of the way into the episode to realize which one they were referencing back to me too until they tossed a prop onto a table and i'm like oh thank you Yeah, there was one key prop it's oh it's that episode you know until then i'm like who what huh yeah so i felt the writing could have been a little better on the the antecedent episode or whatnot versus again the topo ones with the mocklins and stuff like that oh it's a mocklin episode got it okay Mm -hmm. i'm back where they're at well they did an episode that we realized at the end picked up on the episode where Kelly had accidentally influenced a world yes. and become a goddess. Yeah, that was one that, it's funny because that reeked of, I don't want to say the holodeck episodes over mm-hmm. on Trek, but mm-hmm. the alien world with their equivalent of sort yeah. of deal. And again, I liked how they've established enough of a universe that they can do references back to previous episodes and say, oh, it's progressed to this way over the fest past couple of years or whatnot. But as we got to the final few minutes, they did some very untrack things. You know, they got to a point where it's, oh, wow, look at this device. And instead of studying it or figuring it out more or anything, it's, let's blow it to pieces. There are times where this is as much an anti-Trek show as a Trek show. Because, I mean, you look at Ed Mercer, he is certainly no Picard, Mm -mm. certainly not a Kirk. Yeah. You know, he's almost none of these these Trek captains. And there was another episode where it felt like with Isaac, they were doing their riff, but almost in a mirror manner of the lore episodes mm. with Data. And to be finding ways to be doing nods to Trek, yet not just going down the same beaten path. Yeah. To find a couple of twists, a couple of different directions and stuff like that, I found fascinating and again i go back to in i forget if it was the end of the first season where they did the flatland kind of episode Mm, mm -hmm. where they were in two-dimensional space or something and i'm like trek had had 20 years of episodes over multiple shows and granted original series wouldn't have been able to really pull off those effects but they'd never done anything remotely like that and again seth mcfarlane found something that fit the format the the genre the yeah the franchise, if you will, both of Orville and Trek in general, and gone in new directions. Well, what got me with that one where 
they encountered again the species that had thought Kelly was a goddess was they realized, because that was the one where it was, what, 700 years for the planet for every... That was one where she had inadvertently interacted because the planet would be in our realm for a while, flip to another place, age, you know, hundreds of years, and then come back. Right. It was like almost on a lunar cycle or whatever. And then after she'd kind of messed up their society accidentally, I think they put Isaac in there. They did. As a guiding force for that place to to kind of get them back on the right path. Right. So they went from worshiping Kelly to being highly logical and having talk shows. Mm -hmm. But so now we re-encounter this species, you know, and they've got space flight and, you know, yada yada, because it's 50,000 years later in their evolution. The Union's in a war against a fleet we don't think we can beat. And we don't even broach the concept of a treaty. Do you want to help us? I almost took that episode if they were taking that race and saying they ascended into not quite the queue, but something of that sort. It was almost as much a Stargate episode as anything else. To me, they treated them like the queue, but... Almost like, if you're the Q, then we assume we're beneath you and we aren't asked if you want to be involved in matters of this realm. Well, but then that also goes towards the second episode of the season, where we get an admiral on board, they go through Krill space mm-hmm. to explore, and the Krill said, don't go there, they're demons, and they're like, oh yeah, they're religious, whatever. They go there, they meet their equivalent of the demons, and I'm like, halfway through the episode, or earlier on, I'm like, this admiral is is not coming back. He's either going to die or stay there. And I think it was right on both counts. But it was introducing another race of, not I don't say, the, it was kind of their equivalent of the Borg. Mm. Resistance is, is futile. Yeah. We're going to assimilate everybody. Yeah. But in a very different way. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't even tech-based or something. But that seemed like it was all set up. And if we don't get a fourth season, do we get payoff? You know, it's funny because the the setup from that that I did feel we got payoff on was actually we got some backstory on the Doctor. Yeah, but I didn't feel the backstory totally made sense in so much as it skipped over the who are the father of her kids. Have we ever gotten clarity no, on that? We've pretty much established that this is a time period where if a woman wants a child, she goes to the sperm bank. You know what I well, mean? Well, and that it's, marriages are short-term contracts, I thought. Yeah. Do they renew them or was that? I'm trying to remember if that was this universe or another. No, they haven't actually stated that, but it's just kind of a you get married, you get divorced, you you do what works for you. There was, and again, it's been years since we've watched the first two seasons of this, but there was some show where you entered into a marriage contract and you could renew it every so often. I don't remember if that was this, if it was Babylon 5 for that matter or what. I don't think it was this. Okay, it all blurs together. Well, I thought it was hilarious at one point when they were trying for any kind of common ground with the species. Yes, and it's like, yeah, we were married. I cheated on him. It didn't go well kind of a thing. But, but I'm he his was first loyal. officer. Yeah. Yes. Well, and again, the contract, ne- or not contract negotiation, but the, the negotiations, treaty negotiations with an alien race, we've seen that in Trek in a variety of ways, yet they put their own spin on it. Mm-hmm. So I really love how this show is... Playing in that space and and doing it their own way, mm-hmm. yet still sticking to the original spirit of what Roddenberry had set out to do. Yeah, and I, again, McFarlane is doing a great job of evolving the show, tweaking it and improving it as it goes. 
yet remaining true to the core of what it has always been. In other words, this isn't a radical departure from the first season, even though, again, the tone and style has, has shifted some. Yeah. You know, it's still very recognizably the same show. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're only into it for the, the laugh track and all of that sort of aspect, yeah, you might be disappointed. But if you're into it for, again, the sci-fi and social commentary elements, I think it's more satisfying now. I will say I felt, particularly in the first half of the season, they were telling bigger, grandiose stories. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're introducing this new, new big threat. Oh, this is what's happening to the status quo of the universe or something. It was all big, major stories before they really got down to the more personal stories. The Topa story, uh, things of that sort. Yeah, very soap opera. Or sorry, space opera. Yeah. Grandiose and I almost want to say theatrical versus TV. When you look at the book listings now, they like to refer to certain ones that have the grandiose stories as space operas. Yeah. Well, to me, it, it was almost the equivalent of they were telling event-level stories in comic book terms mm-hmm. versus the monthly story they would normally tell. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, we're going to go to war with this race. These species is getting kicked out of the Alliance. Oh, they're going to go create a, a team up with this other threat in the galaxy or whatever. So now we've got this. And, and from a political point of view, things are moving around. Which, in that respect, it's almost Babylon 5 in scope. True. But, I mean, some of this stuff politically was interesting. And, I mean, social commentary is probably not the phrase to use for it, but really informative for the audience members who have probably watched the news and said, basically, why do I care who's elected in France, in Germany? There was definitely an aspect of the Krill episode that was political commentary. Yeah. And it's, this is why we care who the leaders are Yep, in other countries. Yeah. Who gets elected can change a lot in a short time frame. Mm-hmm. And it can change things for us. Yes. Yes. Well, and again, that was one that harkened back to a character from second season. Mm-hmm. So again, they've, they've planted some seeds, they're leveraging it. And I felt that one in particular with the Krill stuff has untold story to to move forward with. Mm-hmm. Now, whether they choose to do it with an Orville thing or 10 years from now to an Orville the Next Generation, don't know, but I certainly think that's a possibility. Well, Orville the Next Generation, I mean, I would hope Isaac was in it just for continuity. You got to keep Isaac. I think you've got to keep one or both of the Finn kids. Yeah, I would want both Ty and Marcus, I think. Yeah. Topa has to be there. Yeah. And then uh, I think her name is Anaya. Yes, Anaya's got to be there. And I think there needs to be some other, I don't want to say legacy character yet to be had, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. I would almost do that as an episode where the Orville meets the Orville Mark II or something like that. And almost do a riff on what they've done in Trek a number of times where the crew meets their descendants, but have it be, you know, recognizable descendants yeah. Yeah. kind of thing. So... I'm enjoying this. I found, again, the tonal shift noticeable but subtle, mm-hmm. and in my way of thinking, an improvement. Not that it needed over second season. I thought they hit a good stride there. Yeah. The longer episode format let them tell longer and deeper stories and do a couple of things that I'm certain they would not have done if they were in 42-minute episodes. Gordon sang three or four songs over the course of the season. Mm-hmm. All of those, I think, would have had to have been cut just for time constraints. Definitely. 
the date the doctor goes on at one point went on for long enough that I think that scene would have been trimmed or cut. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of things like that they just wouldn't have had the time to to really do. And I felt budget-wise, not only did they have the effects, but there were a couple of places where they seemed to kind of go on location mm. in some mm-hmm. places where some of them, okay, it's, it's you know, appears to be modern day. That's not hard to go find or whatever. But there are a couple other places that I, I felt they, they spent a little more time and effort to, to go do. Yeah. So, again, I enjoyed it. I have no idea how the Orville universe is going to continue. I would be expecting more comic books. Mm. They tend to do that, you know, two, three times a year or whatever, two or three times a year. They tend to do a mini series or two every six to nine months, I should say. Whether they continue that or not, don't know, but I hope they do. But I do want to see more live action. I don't want to say television. I, I, I do think going to more the movie format, which again, these episodes independently were almost movie length. Yeah. But I think you need a little bit tighter, self-contained scripts, whereas this had definite plot lines that were going across. Now, if it gets into a cadence of we're going to have one every other month, if we're going to have one a quarter or, or some repeatable cadence like that, then provided they give me a ramp up in every episode to where they left off what, what plot lines they're continuing with, mm-hmm. have at it with ongoing plot lines. I want a TV movie that is the equivalent to a mirror universe or something where this Gordon meets Paradox Gordon, because I believe there is a Paradox Gordon out there. I Yeah, I think that was the something they dropped the ball on. I definitely, I would almost like to see if they do a next gen kind of episode, have the captain of that ship be a descendant of Gordon from the Paradox world. Oh, that'd be funny. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and it would be, you know, like 10 years down the road that I would enjoy seeing it, but at some point having mirror universe topas that followed very different paths. Well, alternate timeline topas. I would love to yes. see them do a mirror universe episode where Gordon is not this goofball or whatever, but a, a really strict by the book kind of a thing. What would be the polar opposite of each of these characters? Yeah, yeah. Where it's Isaac and and Abortus that are really the humans of the bunch, if you will. That'd be fine. Yeah. I mean, there's so many ways they could do a evil universe version of these characters. Talia's the weak one that everyone's protective of. Or kicks around or whatever. She's there to, to be bullied. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. You know, something of that. I mean, there's so many ways they could go there, and I'd love to see their take on it. And I think her uh, relationship with Lamar mm. was purely for laughs, but I really feel they dropped the ball on it. I think so too. And I think if they get another actual season, they should explore that further and find a way to make that work. I really think that there's got to be an opening for Claire to point out, you're not the only Salean to ever have a relationship with a non-Salean. Between Claire, Isaac, mm-hmm. Lamar himself. I mean, there are ways they could deal with that. Yeah. What they would be, I don't know, but yes. So, and I think they also dropped the ball a little with that Salean and not having the problems being out of a heavy gravity world that the first security officer had. Well, apparently her character had some rare gravity sickness. Well, it was rare gravity sickness because Salaeans usually didn't go off world that much. And they were basically 
you've got to be in a heavy gravity environment and we've got to build back up. So that one can't be off world for too much. And I think they kind of glossed over it with the new one of her quarters are tend to be heavy gravity. So oh, is that's, that it? that's kind of how they deal with it. But they never really touched on that sense. Okay. And if even if it was a matter of Lamar saying, why do we always got to do it in my place? And well, my place would crush you. Yeah. And there was a thing where when they thought where they were bouncing between worlds or whatever, it's like, well, we can't be on Celea. This must be an illusion. Otherwise, we'd have been crushed by the gravity. And I'm like, you know what? You've been on that planet and didn't get crushed. He was in the shuttle. Yeah, you're right. I guess they didn't actually set foot. I thought they had something where they could get out for in a force field shell kind of a thing for a little bit. But again, been long enough since I've watched the first two seasons. Mm -hmm. There are a few places where I feel they've not paid as much attention to what they've written and put out there as I think maybe they should have. But overall, again, loving the show. Would like to see it continue. Yeah, me too. Anything else? I think that does it. Cool. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.